0: So last night when I went home, I had no voice. In fact, um, when we were sitting in bed, I had to text Tanya back and forth just to talk to her. (laughs) And when I woke up this morning, when I woke up this morning, I sounded like an injured Kermit the Frog. So I'm not saying it's much better, but maybe by the grace of God, it will continue for the rest of this message. So you can be praying for me as you listen. And listen, here's the great thing. Even Even though the voice is weak, the word of God is strong. And here's the great thing. <clears throat> also, some of you for probably years have been praying when you come to church on Sunday. Pray that we have a five-minute sermon. I'm sure you've been praying that. <laughs> Today may be your day. We'll see. <clears throat> then again, the Spirit starts leading. I may just keep going until my voice is gone. So this is the ultimate risk-reward for you who like short sermons. All right. That said, let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, we are praying that you would speak through my weak voice. I know that your scripture says that the flesh is weak and undoubtedly today that is true for me. My flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing, and I'm praying that you would work through even a weak person like me. It feels like given what we've talked about all weekend, this is maybe appropriate that I would have voice problems as it reminds us that we live in a fallen world. And so we're praying we're praying that today you would work that you would block out all hindrances, and that your word would speak. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start this morning by reading from Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I suppose there's the reason why over the years people have often run to the Psalms during times of difficulty because the Psalms seem to offer genuine hope in times of real despair. Psalm 46 is a great example of this. Look again at the first three verses. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Our God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. That is a reassuring psalm. That is a psalm that offers encouragement and hope, or at least it seems like it does. But let's be honest. I suspect that for many in this room, there have been times where it feels like God is not present in times of trouble. I suspect that for many, you would say that during times of trouble, it felt more like God was absent than that he was present. In fact, maybe some are feeling that way today. You are feeling as if God is absent in your time of trouble. And if you've ever felt that way, if you've never felt that way, chances are at some point you will. You will wonder, where is God? And that is the question I want us to consider this morning. What do we do when it feels like God is absent? When we read Psalm 46 and we see that God is present in times of trouble, what do we do when that doesn't feel true? What do we do when it seems like God is not there? That's the question I want us to consider. Over the course of the weekend, we talked a lot about suffering. Freddie T has talked at length about suffering. But just because we talked about suffering, just because you've been given Freddie T's crash course on suffering, doesn't mean that we have the key to suffering, does it? It doesn't mean that every time suffering comes, it will be easy, and we'll just be able to get through it like nothing's happening. In fact, I suspect that in the days and weeks and months and years to come, there will still be times even though you have a solid biblical foundation, there will still be times where it feels like God is absent. And the question is, what do we do then? What do we do when God feels absent? <clears throat> Listen, I certainly don't pretend I have all the answers. And I certainly won't pretend that I've been through suffering in the way that some of you have because I don't have all the answers. And I haven't been through suffering in the way that some of you have. But hopefully what I can offer you this morning is biblical advice based on the word of God, even with a really weak voice, right? Hopefully I can point you to the hope that is found in scripture. And so my goal is just to offer you a few suggestions. What do you do when it feels like God is absent? What do you do when it feels like God is not present in times of trouble? And my prayer is that as we talk about finding this hope, that you would file this away, and when times of difficulty will come, you'll run back to it. For those who are non-Christians here this morning, let me say this. My hope is that as we talk about the hope that's found in Christ, my hope and my prayer is that you would be intrigued and that you would have a desire to learn more about this hope that's present even when God feels absent. So let me just offer a few pieces of advice. What do you do when it feels like God is not present? Number one, continue to meditate and run to the word of God. Now, admittedly, this seems like shaky logic, right? If I'm saying to you, you're having troubles believing the word of God, what should you do? Read the word of God. That's weird, right? That's, that's strange to say, oh, you're having troubles believing the word of God. I know the solution. Read the word of God. That's strange. It doesn't make much sense. But that's the crazy thing about the Bible. Sometimes it feels like the problem. We can't believe it. But it's always still the solution. In fact, oftentimes, we don't really learn to believe the word of God until times get really difficult. We don't really learn to believe the word of God until there's nowhere else to run for hope. Psalm 119 verse 71 puts it this way. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe the word of God is true unless we are put in situations where there's nothing else left to believe in. So let me give an example from my, my own life from this last month. <clears throat> I promise I'm almost out of Congo stories, so I won't keep telling them <laughs> week after week. But I do have one more today, okay? So um, as you know, when we went to the Congo to pick up our daughter, Karis, they told us that we would be there four or five days. And if you followed our emails at all, <clears throat> or if you talked with us at all, you know that we ended up being there for 16 days. In the grand scheme of things, this was a very small trial. Okay, it's very small, only 16 days, not that long. And in fact, compared to what some of you are going through right now, this is small potatoes. But at the time, it was really difficult. It was difficult because our boys were at home. It was difficult because the Congo is a scary place. It was difficult because they took our passports, and I was afraid that we would never get to go, right? It was difficult because we had no no idea how long it would take. It was difficult. Because we weren't sure. Maybe Tanya and Karis would be stuck there for months. It was difficult. And we would pray fervently. We would pray day after day. God, give us this exit letter today. Nothing would happen. We would pray the next day fervently. God, give us this exit letter. Nothing would happen. And all these verses about prayer were running through my mind. Ask and you shall receive. You do not have because you do not ask. And I'm wondering, as this is happening, are these verses true, right? I'm praying, I'm asking, and yet I'm not receiving. And I'm wondering, is this true? And so it would seem in that moment that the last thing I would want to do when I'm struggling to believe the word of God is to read the word of God. But By his grace, God implanted in me this great desire while we were in Congo to read the word And as I read the Old Testament, I kept seeing these themes over and over. Trust, over and over. It seemed like every chapter, trust, 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 trust. I kept seeing this other theme, God's ways are not our ways. And so this really strange thing happened. As I read the word of God, it strengthened me and it helped me to have faith. To use Freddie T's analogy from yesterday, oftentimes our difficulties keep us from seeing the word of God. If This is the word of God. Our difficulties block it. But reading the word of God put the promises back in my face. My time in the word was like plugging the cell phone into the wall to recharge the battery. I was depleted, but it would refill my batteries. Even though at times I was struggling to believe the word of God, get this, it was the word of God that helped me to believe. So when times come, and you're struggling to believe the word of God, as strange as it may sound, I would encourage you read the word of God, keep the promises in your face. Take for example this passage that we're looking at this morning in Psalm 46. <clears throat> Listen, I think the reason why the word of God is so helpful and so hopeful is because it offers real hope. It's not naive, hallmark card quality phrases. It is real hope in real difficult situations. Psalm 46 is not a pie in the sky, overly optimistic psalm. Rather, it's, this, it's a, a psalm of hope in times of real trouble. So look again at verses 2 and 3. Psalm 46 paints a realistic picture for us. Bad things will happen. <clears throat> Excuse me while I get a drink here. Verse 2, Psalm 46. Again, I'm arguing that the reason why the Word of God is helpful is because it paints a realistic picture and not an overly optimistic, unrealistic picture. Verse 2, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Psalm 46 is realistic that the natural world around us is messed up. It is messed up. Earthquakes will happen, <clears throat> like the one in Haiti in 2010 that killed 300,000 people, injured 300,000 more, left millions homeless. Those types of things will happen. Tsunamis will swallow up the land, like the one in Indonesia in 2004 that killed over 230,000 made millions of people homeless. Hurricanes will seemingly come out of nowhere, like Hurricane Katrina in 2005, it killed 1,800 and caused $81 billion in damage. Listen, the natural world around us is groaning because it longs to be renewed. The world is messed up. And it's not just the world, it's people too. Look at verse six. Verse six. The nations rage, <clears throat> the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Nations will rage and kingdoms will totter. Psalm 46 presents for us a realistic picture of what it's like to live in a fallen world. Natural disasters, diseases, broken relationships, death, all are part of the world we live in. And listen, it's in that context, that context, Psalm 46 offers real hope. Because while Psalm 46 does not shrink away from the difficulties of life, it also reminds us that in the midst of those difficulties, God is with us. Several verses here. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Hosts here meaning the angel armies or just armies in general. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11, the same thing. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So listen, Psalm 46 says, The problems you face are real, but God is with us. And not only is he with us, he's powerful. Look at verse 6. Again, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He He utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Verse nine, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Listen, Psalm 46 reminds us, this world is messed up, but God is present and he is powerful. But I suspect that in some ways, Psalm 46 won't mean as much to us until we experience the earth quaking and the nations raging. In other words, until you've experienced the gritty reality of Psalm 46, you won't appreciate the hope that's found in Psalm 46. And that's why I say, keep running to the word of God. As counterintuitive as it may seem, when you are really struggling to believe that the word of God is true, the solution is to keep reading the word of God. Keep trusting, keep believing, keep putting the promises in your face. <clears throat> so that's piece of advice, number one. We'll see if I make it through all the pieces of advice. Let me get a drink. <clears throat> all right, <clears throat> here's number two. Lean in. Lean in on the community around us. You Listen. During times of difficulty, we need the community of the body of Christ. And by community here, I'm referring specifically to the community of the church. There's community that can be found in lots of places. The local biking club, our workplace, the country club, the quilting club. All these clubs have community, but not the type of community that I'm talking about. The type of community I'm talking about is the community of fellow believers who are committed together to pursue Christ, the church. The fact of the matter is that we need each other. Ecclesiastes 2, 9 and 10 puts it this way. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. When we are struggling to believe that the word of God is true, When we are struggling to believe that God is present, we need to be around others who still believe that God is present and still believe that the word of God is true. And so when you're struggling, when you are struggling to believe that God is present, my encouragement to you is go be with other believers. And conversely, when we know that others are struggling, we need to make an effort to be with them. It doesn't mean that we go to their door and we knock on it and we start quoting systematic theology, okay? And it doesn't mean that we call them and we say, hey, listen, I know what you're going through. I know all of the answers. We don't have to do that either. But what it does mean is that we are there with them. We are praying for them. We are watching their kids if if they need it, if they need a break. We're bringing them meals. We're encouraging them. We are loving them. We are loving them and not giving up on them even though they're struggling. As a church... We should make it our goal to love one another in such a way that gives testimony to God's presence. When we are going through really hard times, oftentimes it's our natural inclination to withdraw and to go into isolation mode. But what we need in those moments is not to run from community, but to run to it. So listen, when you are tempted to think God's not present, when you are tempted to think the word of God is not true, let me encourage you, run to community. Run to the people in this room we need each other. Let me also encourage you when you're struggling to believe that God is present to reflect on the character and the wisdom of God. The fact of the matter is that sometimes God doesn't do things the way that we would. Consider the well-known story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. In fact, turn there for just a minute. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, no. Chances are you're pretty familiar with the story. Lazarus is ill. Lazarus is ill and his sisters inform Jesus about Lazarus' illness. All right, so Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha come and they tell Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick. But then a really strange thing happens in this story. Verse 5, John chapter 11. Verse 5 says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. All right, so get this, right? Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's what the beginning part of John 11 tells us. All right, so Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves Lazarus. He hears that Lazarus is sick, so you would expect to read, immediately Jesus went to Lazarus, right? Verse 6, you would expect it to say, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he went immediately to look after Lazarus. That's not what it says, does it? Instead it says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer. That's crazy, right? What in the world is going on here? Why is he doing this? That doesn't make any sense unless, of course, you know the end of the story. If you know the end of the story, you know that four days after he's dead, Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's an amazing display of the power of God. Of course, this side of the story, we can see what Jesus was doing. It makes sense to us, right? We get it. We understand that the reason why Jesus waited is so that he could show the power of God by raising Lazarus from the dead. But you have to imagine at the time, that didn't make sense to anyone. Right? Mary and Martha couldn't have thought, oh, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, great idea. Stay two days longer. Right? They couldn't have thought that. The plan didn't make sense to anyone but Jesus because Jesus could see something that no one else could. Listen, sometimes he sees the big picture that we can't. My friend Lyle Drury used to say this. He said, God paints on a canvas bigger than we can see. The point is that sometimes we can't see the whole picture. If I were to have a painting up here, <clears throat> I would guess that maybe you put a painting on canvas. I'm not sure what you put a painting on. I can't blame that on my voice either. I don't know what you call it, a canvas, I guess. Right? Like if you have a canvas here and let's say I had a huge painting, right? And I were to only reveal 1% of the painting. And so I just, I reveal a small dot of the painting. And all it is is a blob of orange paint. There's no way that you could look at that 1% and say, oh, that's beautiful, right? It's only in the context of the entire painting that it would make any sense. That blob of orange paint would only make sense if you saw it in the context of the rest of the painting. In the same way, sometimes God is doing things that we can't see. All we see is the blob of orange paint. And maybe that blob of orange paint is suffering or maybe it's trials or maybe it's difficulty. But what we need to understand is that God is painting on a canvas bigger than we can see. If you've ever seen someone paint from scratch, I don't know if that's even a proper terminology for painting, right? If you've ever seen someone painting when they first started, you're like, what are they painting? It only makes sense when it comes together, right? In the same way, Just because we can't see the whole picture, sometimes it won't make sense to us. But God is painting on a canvas bigger than we can see. The fact of the matter is that God is wise. He is all wise. We are not. God is sovereign over all things. We are not. God is always powerful. We are not. God is always good. We are not. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves that God can do things that we can't see. Earlier this year, I was reading an article from John Piper, and he was talking about the idea that God is sovereign over all things, and he gave this illustration in the article. He said that one time when his son was younger, maybe four or five years old, his son asked him for a cookie, and so Piper went to the closet to get a cookie, and he pulled out the cookies, and they were all moldy, and so he took the cookies, and he threw them away, and his son, of course, being four or five years old, threw a fit because he really wanted a cookie. John Piper said, how could he as a father give his son a moldy cookie? Even though his son desperately wanted that cookie, as a father, the only thing he could do is throw away the cookies because he loved his son. And the point that Piper was making is that sometimes we are asking God for things, wanting the cookie, not realizing that he is sparing us from the moldy cookie. And at times, we may not even understand that the cookie is moldy, right? Just like the four or five-year-old can't understand what a moldy cookie is. In the same way, we may not understand that what we're asking of God is a moldy cookie. It might seem to us like a perfectly good cookie. But God is able to see things that we are not. In times of difficulty, remember that his character, his character can be trusted. Along a similar line, let me also encourage you in times of difficulty where you're wondering, is God present? Remind yourself of the reality of eternity. Over the years, I found 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 to be really helpful verses. I think about the difficulties of this life. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4 for just a minute. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, hold on. Okay, all right, so Second Corinthians 4, verse 16 says this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 mentions these light and momentary afflictions. Now if you keep reading in 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, he starts to mention some of those light and momentary afflictions. They include things like this. Five times receiving the 40 lashes minus one. Three times being beaten with rods. Once being stoned. Three times being shipwrecked. And then he goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 to mention all these places he's in danger. And basically, he lists every conceivable place on the earth, right? He's in danger everywhere. There's nowhere he can go that he is safe. In other words, there is nothing light and momentary about Paul's afflictions. Unless he believed that something greater was coming. And obviously, Paul did believe that something greater was coming. So let me ask you a few questions here this morning. What if... We weren't made for this world, but for the world to come. What if the point is not to maximize our satisfaction here, but rather to get us prepared to maximize our satisfaction in eternity? What if Second Corinthians 4 is true, and our light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all no comparison? What if all of those things are true? That changes everything, right? I think sometimes... I end up frustrated with my life because I want everything here to be smooth. I want to wake up on Sunday morning and I want my voice to sound like the sound of angels. and It doesn't happen. Right? Instead, I sound like a wounded Kermit the Frog. <clears throat> Although I will say this. Um, earlier, I met Edward for the first time and he said I sounded Australian. And, I thought, <clears throat> and if that's true, then whatever I did to my voice, I want to do it again next week. I love the Australian accent. <laughs> but listen, the truth is, sometimes we want everything here to go perfectly. But what if God is preparing us for eternity? What if the whole point is not here, but what's to come? And I think I end up frustrated because I want everything to be as pleasant as possible, when in reality, God wants to sharpen my character. And that's why, as strange as it sounds, I was somewhat Thankful for my voice being like this because I thought this is an audible reminder to you as you hear this nails on a chalkboard voice for 30 minutes. This is an audible reminder to you that our character matters and that God is always in the process of shaping our character, even when things aren't going exactly like we want them to. Listen, looking to eternity means that we can be encouraged even when we wonder where God is. That said, I think there's one weapon we have that is greater than all of the rest of the weapons when it comes to reminding ourselves that God is present. And it's simply this, looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. One more verse, Romans 5. So just the next book if you're in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Actually, just kidding. Go the other way. Romans 5, right? Before 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Romans 5. Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm sure there are times where you have wondered, does God really love me? Where you thought to yourself, If God loves me, why is this happening? I would guess that almost every person in this room can relate to that sentiment. That you've wondered before, if God loves me so much, why is he putting me through this? And in those moments, how can you know that God loves you? By looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you ever doubt God's love, dwell on the fact that he sent his son to die for you. He loved us so much that he would send his son to pay the punishment that we deserve to pay. He loves us so much that he sent his son to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. That is love. And if you are here this morning and you are not a Christian and you are wondering if God could possibly love you, let me implore you, look to the cross and see that there your sins can be forgiven. And let me plead with you, put your trust in Christ so that your sins can be forgiven and so that you can be given new life. On the other hand, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian and you are wondering, where is God? Where is he in my time of trouble and difficulty? Let me encourage you also, look to the cross. And remember, if God loved you so much that he would send his son to die for you, he will give you everything else that you would ever need. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now we may, as Freddie T. talked about yesterday, we may define what we need differently than what God does. But he will give us everything we need. If he provided his son, of course he loves us. It's the cross that reminds us, no matter how bad things seem, that God really does love us. John 3, 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's the cross, it's the cross that reassures us that God loves us, even when it doesn't feel that way. Listen, Psalm 46 is a precious truth from the word of God. God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. But sometimes, as much as we want to believe it, it can be hard to believe that God really is present. But in those moments, let me encourage you, keep looking to the word, keep leaning in on community, reflect on the character of God and the reality of eternity, and ultimately look to the cross where God's love is displayed. And then, above all, pray like crazy. Pray that through all of those means, God would give you the ability to know and understand his love and pray that God would enable you to believe despite what you may feel that God would enable you to believe he really is an ever-present help in times of trouble. After all, he is. Psalm 46 is true. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble, even when it doesn't feel that way. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you for your grace. I'm praying we would apply these truths to our life. You are merciful, merciful, We love you. We love the fact that you would send your son to die for us. We're praying now that as we transition into a time of the Lord's Supper and that as we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, that we would remind ourselves that your body was broken, that your blood was shed, that we might have life. God, help us to believe that you really are present, even when sometimes it doesn't feel that way. In Jesus' name. Amen.